Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Quote from Frederick Beekner <laughs> inside oh, Rebecca de Young's chapter on anger. Oh, what better place to start? I am uh, once again joined by the wonderful Laura Hashimov. Laura, welcome back to the pod. Thank you, sir. And of course, the right Reverend Hayden Butler. Hayden, welcome back to the pod. Good to be here. Okay, my friends, we are tackling <laughs> the most enjoyable, perhaps, of, uh, of the seven deadly sins. Um, anger. Now, she opens this chapter uh, trying to kind of position how the tradition has actually seen this maybe in slightly different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not always a perfect uniformity amongst the, the figures she looks at, um, but this one does seem a little more sharply maybe divided as to whether or not anger can be um, an important, healthy, good thing that then just needs to be guarded against as to certain kinds of manifestations or extremes. She, she points to Aquinas describing um, on page 118 that uh, it is a natural expression of human passions, one response among many aroused by threats to ourselves and others. Uh, Aquinas' anger is not inherently bad, although it becomes disordered when it attacks the wrong target or it gets out of control. Those who take this view of anger, she goes on to say, are careful to distinguish anger, the passion, a part of normal human emotional makeup, from wrath, the vice, which is anger in its sinful, excessive, misdirected form. And helpfully, I think she also says, Aquinas uh, remarks that anger is a response to injustice. Uh, It requires a recognition that someone has been wronged followed by a subsequent desire to set things right. So she sort of starts with this place in which anger has a healthy, you think of um, the scriptures, right? Uh, Be angry and sin not. You think of places in which people would think of Jesus overturning tables or calling out, you know, hypocrites and empty tombs for religious leadership that has so dangerously steered people in the wrong direction. Jesus is hardly complacent. He's hardly apathetic. He's certainly not always calm, although, you know, maybe we could talk about that. Um, But then she also will tilt us to um, the Cassian sort of side of this, which seems much more suspicious that people can have a healthy place of anger in their life. And it seems that Cassian, for Cassian, is almost never a healthy place for anger (laughs) because of us, because of our nature, not necessarily because Jesus, you know, didn't, um, but because we're not Jesus. And because as soon as we are angry, we're almost invariably off about the reason, about the magnitude, about the direction, about the culpability or whatever, uh, or the importance even um, of that particular injustice. So we'll have to kind of navigate that a little bit. But maybe if we started with the Aquinas side, could we say that there are contexts in which 
we can think of anger having an important, healthy, without which something is not totally right or good about someone's response to, let's say, injustice or tragedy or challenges in life. Uh, Hayden, starting with you, do you do you find anger as an important, healthy response to something that you would be ready, willing to articulate in counseling or in uh, talking about a subject like this? Is anger something that is distinctly different from wrath? Yes. No, I, I, think, I, I, think, I think definitely so. I think there's a difference between sensations and the, and the stories we begin to tell about those sensations. Um, that we tell ourselves or that we receive from others. And I think that's where the, the wherever the line is between anger and wrath, it's it's there. It's between the sensation and the story about what the sensation means and what it ought to do, what we then ought to do about it. That's interesting, though. So would you say, because sensation, I think, is that impulse, yeah. reaction. You'd say there's something right and good about uh Natural passion would be yeah. the Aquinas sort of language. That uh, a natural reaction to something that is unfair, that is wrong, yeah. that is misplaced. Um, that that okay. But then what we, how we narrate it, how we, yeah. how we think it through, how we then present it or act. So on like, it? like maybe the, maybe, the an ex- maybe an example is like you know you're you're cooking you know and um, you're cooking and you you know you touch a hot pan right it burns it, you register the the sensation of being burned if your you know neurological system is working properly right <laughs> you register the, the experience of being brand you say ouch right that's the sensation all right and then you have the story about it which is you know and then you like you know as you go and then curse the pan or you know or <laughs> all or, the pans or and all say the that i will ba- abandon <laughs> cooking forever now you know that that's the story mm-hmm. to use an exaggerated no, thing good, yeah. it is it is that which it, within the soul that regis- can register things like injustice which as far as we mm-hmm. know is a very limited set of creatures in god's cosmos that can do that and so it is it's a different thing than just the like ouch hot but it is that thing in the soul that we are uniquely capable of that says, in the presence of injustice, ouch. Mm. So I love that. This God-given capacity, mm-hmm. um, maybe not entirely unique, but close to unique mm-hmm. to us among creatures. So therefore, not something to just be sort of politely dismissed as something bad. Right. Um, okay. Um, and I love, I love the, I love the image too, because it, it helps with a few different things. So, Laura, as far as your take on maybe how she led us into this, or thinking about healthy things in ways that anger is a right response to um, injustice, or a right response to grief or loss, a mm-hmm. right response to something going yeah. wrong. I think that's a really helpful example from Father Hayden just now because. There's always multiple ways to respond, right? I could I could see some injustice, someone who has been hurt, and my response could be um, the sort of healthy, righteous anger, or my response could be, um, I don't know, like r- the rage or stereotyping or something along those lines. I'm thinking of the person who maybe experiences a breakup or something and then is like, all men or all <laughs> like the, the yeah, anger yeah, yeah. could manifest that way or that anger could manifest righteously and in, in saying like I deserve someone who's not going to cheat on me mm, right yeah. like and there's a, an anger of like you broke promises or something right versus the like this is all nonsense I'm out you know that and so that's the story right playing out and so I think that's a really helpful example because you, you have an injustice you have something that truly was wrong and something 
that shouldn't have happened in, in a perfect world. And then um, that we always have paths that how we can let that anger fester or grow um, into something else. Well, and this is the temptation that you started with, with the Buechner quote, right? Yeah. That there is something sort of uh, exhilarating, right? Mm-hmm. There's a real frisson mm-hmm. about, about that feeling of anger, that righteous indignation, whether it's righteous or not. That feeling that I am on the right side of seeing something wrong. Yep. And, mm-hmm. and it is almost frighteningly sort of ennobling. It is sharp and distinct. Uh, we were talking previously in an episode about sloth. And you think of like having a sharp, bright edge to that noonday moment. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, it like makes you feel alive, right? <laughs> like I it, can do something. Yeah, something <laughs> is within my. I see something, and I'm going to do something about this wrong thing. And it is going to work. Yeah, right. It is. It feels like you have this sense of almost authority because you have registered this right response or this reaction. Think of our own just the the po- politics of anger right now, and <laughs> right. in every yeah. sphere of our little news cycle, is a bunch of people feeling very much alive by yelling at whatever just happened mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and and feeling very strongly righteous about their opinion and about their evaluation of the injustice um, in the Christian tradition we believe human beings are fallen um, laden with sin that sin has tainted every aspect including all the God-given capacities uh, that we just mentioned and so in this sense maybe we can understand why Cassian among others or Vagris um, among others would say yeah okay skeptical. but be careful because very few people are able to sort of wed reason and proportion um, to how they narrate what happens next or how they how they describe that well, probably no one um, <laughs> like that's the thing and that's why you know we see we have we see evidence of that of course you know in in places where we attempt to you know regulate this by law right is mm-hmm. you know in our own system you know rather than having be a naked you know eye for eye tooth for tooth system of justice you know it, we we bog it down with procedure and protocol and training and principle and statute and code and and it takes forever to get anything done and that's a that's a good thing that's a good thing because the anger impulse is like let's do it and we're doing it now and it's going to (laughs) work because the best form of the solution to this problem is the one that immediately occurred to me (laughs) right right? and 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 in the legal system it's like no we gotta let we gotta litigate and we have to bog this whole thing down. And, and you know, as much as that fr- it's frustrating, but it's good that it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Right? There's that famous uh, trilogy that, you know, I know Laura has the most experience among us of teaching. Um, but the Oresteia, like, yeah. is this whole thing about this ancient Greek mode of constant cycles of revenge and avenging. And then yeah. finally in this third act, like a deus ex machina of the law yeah. descends with mm-hmm. Athena as like, no, it's not going to be you to take this back in your hands for this blood guilt, this thing where you have to now, it's going to be the law. It's going to be this depersonalized, slow, bureaucratic process that might not feel very satisfying, but is how we're going to like grow as a society. Right. And no one, no one thinks it's perfect. Right. right. Like we would be, we'd be foolish to think that, that any sort of legal code is perfect. But the, the point of it maybe before anything else, before all its idealistic ambitions, right. And it's false sense of self is, is that, yeah, it just, it slows down the mm-hmm. impulse. Mm-hmm. I have in a different, similar vein, but different example. I was reminded of, uh, the woman caught in adultery, right? And there's sort of this, the rage of the crowd and the energy is mounting. <laughs> and then Jesus just like sits down for a minute 
and draws something, writes something. And in however much time that was, the few moments or minutes it was, everybody kind of was like, oh. Right. Like <laughs> there seemed to be a self-awareness that settled in. And uh, he says five or six words and then it all dissipates. Yeah. And so there is something about like, yeah, we need to create some of those buffers uh, that keep us from acting on on impulse constantly because um, usually with 30 to 40 minutes of hindsight, you would have done something differently. And we talked about this with a number of impulses when it comes to shopping or when it comes to (laughs) tweeting or anything, right? Like just take a minute, take 10, take a day and you'll make all sorts of different choices, right? Mm -hmm. And it is, it's, it's shocking when you actually experience that of yourself and come back to a draft maybe in an email and you're like, what? What? Yeah. I, would, <laughs> I feel almost none of this. It's been a day. Like it is, it is disturbing how quickly we can sort of really like a pot on, on the boil. You turn that thing off and, and it comes off the boil really quickly. And it is kind of amazing. Like it took a while to get going. It really got going. It looked like it was going to overtake the world. And you, you take that thing off for a second, slide it over to a burner. That's cool. And it's like <laughs> seconds and yeah. it's like whole different set of things mm-hmm. going on there. It is frightening maybe how strong this hits, how good it feels, how uh, you know ennobling or exciting it almost uh, makes life for a second. And yet how, how scary it is to look back at some of those expressions or moments or feelings that we've had in some kind of hindsight. So then people might get the wrong impression. I think this is the wrong impression. You can help me out with this. Um, because people say, okay, you know, a Christian, a mature Christian, someone who practices the discipline, someone who's meditative and calm, deep in prayer, and just sort of unaffected, you know, by the world and its worlding, and just sort of moves, almost floats through, because we're otherworldly people, and the kingdom is not of this earth, and we expect nothing from this world, so we're not surprised by injustice. We're not, but we we move through it as citizens of another land, and 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 that is true Christian maturity is almost a um, less emotional attachment or reactiveness, but. We started with this place of this being a God-given capacity, yeah. a natural passion uh, ordered in our being that is somewhat unique to us among creatures. So so Christian maturity, what does Christian maturity look like, uh, Father Hayden, if we're talking about not wanting to be impulse reactive, acting off of these three things, but that being a false path of maturity to just sort of like feel less? Yeah. Like, is, is that fair to no. say that? That, that not that's not what it means uh, to grow and mature in this area? That's right. I think maturity looks like uh, saying ouch mm. and maybe not saying anything else because that's really what it is. you know. And whatever the story, the meaning, the how it connects to every other thing in, in the cosmos is something that can be discerned to a degree over time, um, very partially, very incompletely. Um, and, but yeah, in the meantime, I think maturity looks first like the ability to just say "ouch." So, you know, no, no, no one wants to just say "ouch." You know, we want to put a plan in place where we don't get hurt, ever get hurt again. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. we, we want, I don't, you know, I want to like, gosh, you know, I just gotta, I'm so stupid, I gotta remember to put the potholder back on the thing, and <laughs> I just like it's, and that's the other side. It's, and let's not, I might not curse the pan, but I may curse myself, you mm. know, in that too. But I think what I really just need to do is say, "ouch," I'm hurt. I'm able to be hurt. The most logical thing you can go from that moment is, 
wow, I'm a lot less like invincible than I thought. And mm. ow, that hurts too. And, and that's, that's difficult to and sit then with. And sitting that. there. Yeah, that's difficult to sit with. Yeah. Have you, so he talks about those things that threaten us, that threaten others, those mm-hmm. near us. Um, that God-given capacity surely is tied, as she makes note of through many of these pages and mentions Aquinas commenting on, is tied to the realities and the importance that God places on justice, on the right treatment of people. Um, we may be really concerned with the right treatment of ourselves, mm-hmm. but... We can do this for other people. Right. Mm-hmm. That that there is a... I don't know if it's a more mature... You know, you have to be able to say, ouch, when you are hurt. Um, but that that response to saying recognizing the hurt or the injury of others mm-hmm. seems to me vital if we're going to be called as people growing in love for our neighbors, uh, growing in common cause and fellowship and linking our lives and hearts with one another, that it can't be to feel less, right? right? To say ouch less often, um, no. but to register it clearly, sharply, um, when something is wrong or unfair, especially in the treatment of others. I tend to be most, well, no, on reflection, I tend to be most suspicious about my own view of myself. Mm-hmm. In the moment, I tend to be convinced that I've got it dialed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the pastoral mode in me <laughs> is at war with the, the natural oh. mode of me. Um, but it does seem to me like we are in a moment in which Issues of justice are so often either co-opted or so exhaustingly um, argued over that many people are tempted to just step out, give up, not be engaged in any way. Um, we just have such a slogany moment of, oh, mm-hmm. these people are are too woke or these people are too this. And we have like these really weird short circuit phrases to kind of like talk about not what we're talking like to talk around issues mm-hmm. of justice and issues of brokenness in society and so like everyone's arguing over how to say or what is true or virtue signaling you know like it, it just seems like it's gotten so exhausting as to the rhetoric around yeah. justice in our moment mm-hmm. that many people are just like out or over it or like yeah. so frustrated that it's tempting to sort of step out of it and not be interested in like even being in that in that arena um how have you guys? I mean, this is took us a slightly different way, but what do we do with that? Like, I, the frustration with even the church's uh, engagement in sort of culture warry language about justice, which is not about justice at all. It's about how people are talking or not doing what you want them to do about these issues. This society is shattered with injustices. Um, you know, I was talking to Maurice um, from Prison Fellowship the other day, mm. who I've had on the podcast. And, you know, you talk about a guy whose life was both uh, on every side of the law, right? Mm-hmm. Who right. suffered from that, but also then experienced radically uh, unjust treatment within uh, the penal system and incarceration and the legal system and all sorts of things. And yet it motivated the call in his life to stay in there mm-hmm. and serve the incarcerated and bring, you know, the Lord's good work to people who are in those situations, not to abandon or give up, working really sort of even very technically on reform of policy and, and certain kinds of litigation, all sorts of things. But this is a person who's been burned, you know, a thousand different ways. Mm-hmm. And 
And when I talk to Maurice, I'll tell you the last thing that ever comes up is any slogan that I hear in like the, the, the Christian <laughs> slash contemporary culture yeah. war. It's like he's in real life and actual situation with actual people in actual circumstances in which they've either committed or are suffering from injustice. There it is. And mm-hmm. and so he, 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 he doesn't even register this language thing that I'm like distracted by. Like I could talk to him for three hours and not a single canned phrase or slogan from that like arena will come up because he's actually involved in helping people, in registering the real pain people are going through mm-hmm. and in being closer than the safe distance in which we can debate over language maybe. Mm-hmm. So like I have this guy that when I talk to him, I'm like, okay, that is a person whose life in the Lord has pulled him closer and closer and he's just not distracted by the kinds of things I even just brought up. Um, some people say, okay, well, that's his life. That's his whole vocation. That's his whole that's his biography. That's his calling. But that's the demands that Christ has on every Christian is yeah. to is to visit the the prisoner is to is to give to the needy is to look out for those who are suffering uh, in a variety of different ways in our culture so how do we how do you i don't know if you want to take this personal or general whatever um how do we avoid the fatigue not take some detachment approach to christian maturity yeah um and and yet be genuinely able to say this is wrong and people are supposed to be treated better, and, and, and Jesus cares about those things and those people, so I need to stay in that place somehow caring hmm. as well. I think there is, I mean, to what you said, is right, right on, in that he's de- dealing with a specific problem and specific people and actually present and bodily there, right? Like he's, it's, um, I think so much of the anger that we're talking about when it comes to this justice question, a lot of anger is maybe in some ways a little inauthentic because it's not actually bodily present or mm-hmm. actually pursuing any solutions or actually, and that's the dangerous destructive anger I think is when um, I'm using anger as a sort of a resume builder or something. But Oof. then I think when I, if I'm actually involved in a problem, actually trying to help a certain group of people, um, then I think that changes how, again, that, that narrative of the anger of like, is this an anger that just has me spouting off terrible things at at the abusers? Or is this a, an anger that actually leads me to do something to pursue uh, justice for the abusers or to help meet the needs of those who have been abused like what am I is it just for my own status or symbol um, and I think that's I have to catch myself on that a lot I have to limit mm, the scope of things I take in um, because I think on one hand we're just not built for the capacity of seeing 10,000 injustices a day on the news. Um, Mm -hmm. And we're not built for taking in uh, a thousand angry tweets a day. I just like, because it becomes completely detached from any sort of embodied work or any actual actions on my part. Um, Because yeah, you do have to wonder if you are really, really angry and not involved in any active way, even if, if that's through prayer, 
um, then what's the what is your anger actually about? Um, and I think for me, it will often be sort of a self-serving or idolatrous thing um, because it hasn't actually pushed me in the virtuous sense to do anything that Christ would do in response to, like when Christ is angry, um, it's shown in holy ways, right? Like he, it, it, but it has it has outcome. Like there's actually things that happen. He doesn't just sort of fester away um, in his own isolation, mm. but he he calls out those who need to be called out, and he helps those who need to be helped. Um, and so there's a tangible response to it, even if that response is in prayer. So those are some of the things that I'm thinking about as you're talking. That's really hopeful thinking about embodiment as a appropriate limitation mm-hmm. on the kinds of things we can um, be connected to helping or, or to even interceding over, right? Like, mm-hmm. what is the sphere of people that I know who are affected by unjust things or maybe unfair laws or whatever it might be? You wouldn't have to look too far, but it would be really interesting and probably really healthy to just say, my embodiment is not sort of like a curse that my phone or the internet needs to free me from, right? Mm-hmm. But it right. might be a divine um, gift and a proximity and a uh, an arena um, in which I am expected to bring cold water and visit the sick and, and mm-hmm. imprison, right? That like I can't, I can't, I couldn't possibly do that in the way that things are available for me to know outside of that embodiment or, or online or right. whatever. But within that, think about the people I do know or the people in my community or at my church. Um, there are so many kinds of connections there that w- that would be a, a really beautiful place because they are the places we are already bound up, right? We're not, in that sense, we're not seeking out <laughs> an injustice resume or a justice resume, yeah. right? Um, I love how you say that. It's so abstract and it's so self-serving. Uh, but instead, in the place that God has already called me, amongst the people he's already called me to love and serve, um, are there places where they could be better loved and, mm-hmm. and better cared for? Um, and that's not to say that we should never tackle like large-scale issues or sort of systemic problems. I think we definitely should, but I, you have to... I think even the... Um, even the most well-known activists have narrowed their focus because they're human and they can't tackle all issues at once and um, just yeah human strength is not capable of that so if you if you have something that you are righteously angry about and the Lord is moving you to act on um, try to with his help of in prayer what is what is the narrow focus on this massive issue wherein I should invest my time and my prayer and my money. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it does seem, even with the example of like the woman caught in adultery, there may be a, or, or I think of Jesus, you know, violating Sabbath law. There may be big structural things he's about to say, but it came up because the disciples were just trying to right. have some food right. as they were walking through a field, right? It, it begins with a person. It begins embodied. It begins with the person in front of you. Um, and then you may realize, oh man, there's a whole systemic thing that is 
kept this situation for this person very difficult. Now I need to go there, um, but only through the particular, right? That seems to be Jesus's mode, even for those big changes he makes in his own sort of society, or at least the changes he makes as far as spiritually thinking about law and 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 the purpose of the law. Um, so we have this then it doesn't need to be a non-starter but it is also this warning warning um this abstract way lies a lot of fruitless and sinful wrath yep right because even if you are seeing oh man this is the wrongest thing in the world you are also the wrongest thing in the world yep. right and so so we need to somehow find ways of acknowledging that the injustices or the wrong things of the world are not conveniently over there with them mm-hmm. or somewhere right but that there is a, a participation we all have in this um hayden thinking about or even thinking about we've talked about uh crime and punishment or we talked about dostoevsky's ways of helping us see this but like this idea that part of of avoiding the wrath that sin um you know is delightful <laughs> delightfully plays on um by by always seeing our participation in the very thing that we most despise or that we recognize uh, is so wrong yeah how do we think that through well you know we, wrongdoing is is you know injustice is is a, is a chapter title under which there's a tremendous amount of content um and you know there's you know to, to one way you could cut it is you know we're all we're all participant in a you know in a general brokenness by virtue of just existing as what we are in what we are and um that's just this a fact of our existence as christians we confess original sin um, and that just basically just means partaking of the general brokenness of humanity ultimately and then out of that we all do stuff you know that that contributes to it and and elaborates upon it and uh and and you know and and makes it makes it more complicated in the the root system of it is is mostly subterranean and we don't get to see how it's all connected with each other and that's kind of what the scripture you know calls in one of its more haunting phrases the mystery of iniquity is it is a mystery you know if we were allowed to peer too deeply into the into the extent of the brokenness it would drive us insane would cause us to despair but it connects all of us that's one of the only things that connects all of us (laughs) um and and so that has to be acknowledged before in any conversation of what do we do after after that is to acknowledge first like i am from the in the in the same experience and this is cassian's i think skepticism rightfully expressed is in the same moment i'm experiencing the the ouch of an injustice i am experiencing it as someone who is already working from a deeply compromised ability to do anything about it to even understand Mm. the problem and much less to then formulate some sort of plan to solve the problem Mm. And again, I think, you know, going back to, you know, going back to our talk about sloth is, uh, you know, we, we, we like to envision ourselves, you know, in this kind of optimization productivity metric where whatever there's a problem, we can solve it. Our genius and our work ethic can always overcome anything. And I think wrath is is the um, the experience of, of trying to just by sheer will, will something into a solution. Um, and that's why it doesn't always look like just punching someone back after they've punched us, but can also take on passive forms, you mm. know, where we, mm. 
where we, you know, quietly go about this, or we, you know, or it looks really pretty, but it's actually just anger, <laughs> or not anger, it's actually just wrath being being poured out. But it's really, I, I think that's I think that's part of the part of what Dostoevsky gets at is is that you know, and what Solzhenitsyn and others, you know, in that tradition of literature teach us is that first thing is acknowledging I'm part of the problem. You know, I'm always part of the problem, and there's no such thing as the pristine. Um, you know, victim of it and the pristine perpetrator of, of anything. Like we're all like, we're all complicit in a generally broken, in a general brokenness. There are, there is, you know, at some level, moral responsibility for an individual action committed in time and space to, from a person to a person. That's a real thing. We're not denying that, but it is also, it's like saying, you know, it's like paying attention to like the, you know, the, like the flower bud and ignoring the entire organism that makes that flower bud possible, mm. you know, and that's that's the thing that makes acting out on anger horribly complicated and maybe in Cassian's case, hopelessly complicated is mm. and fraught and bound to fail or without adding other injustices, without collateral damage because we don't understand the problem we're dealing with. And so all of our work to work in the wake of injustice is always provisional and tentative and hopefully local, as Laura wisely pointed out, because local is all we can manage. You know, Mm what the people right in front of me are really all I have even a shot at understanding and they're way too complicated for me to really (laughs) get my my, my mind around. Mm -hmm. It strikes me that the church um, has resources to form us in understanding what you're describing. Uh, it, contemporary church has not often uh, maintained or kept certain kinds of prayers um, that people might in other places or in other traditions like your own, um, or even just, I don't know, conventional Presbyterian church would regularly say prayers about confessions of sin, yeah. corporate, corporate confessions of sin that at least growing up evangelical would never have heard a day in my life in church. Um, Would have sounded strange when I went to, you know, I don't know, Redeemer in New York on a visit once or something. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is a a really weird old world moment here. So the church in its history and tradition has a really important place. I mean, I've been, you know, reading the daily office in the morning and, um, and I'll read it with Haddon's usually up with me, so mm-hmm. a two-and-a-half-year-old sitting on my knee, and the first thing I'm saying, Lord, we have erred. And, you know, it's this yeah. confession mm-hmm. of sin about things that we have tried to do, right, and things that we have not even understood well enough to yeah. know that we were sinning, yep. right? It's like this comprehensive, like, I'm starting my day acknowledging, Lord, that uh, I'm not really great at being a person in the world who can see very well, like that I'm always already compromised and always already in need of you. And I don't just turn to you when uh, it's a little heavier than I know how to to manage or I need a little extra power boost. (laughs) Need some juice here, yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like that that has been striking to me. And and I, I got a good awareness of church history and of church liturgies to some extent. But just doing that in the morning in the corner of my living room Mm -hmm. with my two-year-old sitting there saying he wants to he wants to stay there with me instead of go build his blocks or whatever and I'm so I'm reading it out loud because he's there and so it'd be weird you know to just sit there for a moment because he wants to be participating and so I'm, I'm reading this out loud I was just thinking the last few mornings and 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 it's like this is this is how the church can uh form us so that we are less inclined to immediate 
self-delusion or yeah. or mm-hmm. <laughs> self-righteous just impulsive self-righteousness from one moment to the next reactionary senses that we really have this dialed and if you could just see if you all could agree that our enemies are those people over there and if we could fix this we'd save our children and fix america like it just strikes me like a big huge part of the problem is that contemporary evangelicalism lost prayers of confession yeah. like lost a whole language for saying i am part of this problem and so it became really easy to name enemies outside of our group. Um, I just experienced that in my own life, how, how radical that that formation was and how unfortunate that formation was to, to make me feel like I was always on the right side of a, of a group that mm-hmm. was besieged right. and fighting this righteous war against you know the baddies of whatever. And then I'm like, oh, but the church is always actually started with other kinds of language and other kinds of places in the morning (laughs) so i you know i'm coming to that very late um but i think in some ways the church in america is still not coming to that um and so there is a formation that could happen um in which this doesn't just happen occasionally but is part of how we think of ourselves as a christian um that maybe would be interesting for our churches to explore recover um I know it sounds, what does it sound like to people? Morose? Morbid? What does it sound like? That's usually the pushback I, I, I get. Yeah. Is, this is really sad. Bleak? You know, this is bleak. <laughs> yeah. You know, very yeah. dour. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there is. Drab colors. Like, what's going on here? I'm supposed to feel good about myself. Yeah. There is no health in us. There is no Good morning. Health no us. health in us. Now get out there and be someone. But I think uh. I, I, I think it is helpful to come from that to start at that place so when you do have the ouch moment you can feel it you can say like ouch that really hurt and then you you can lord willing have those moments of like pause 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 why did that hurt and you have to go through those sort of the a decision tree of sorts Mm -hmm. when you are able when your body has calmed enough to do so of like okay was it just a wounded ego um or has there been a true injustice that i need to now take steps and and process and deal with um, and, and move on, right? So I have to do that. I, one of the things that I'm very bad, I'm very bad at receiving criticism. I'm like very bad at getting feedback um, that's negative. And so I have to in those moments, because sometimes you do get feedback that is unfair and unjust, right? And then you have to sort of, but the whether it's a fair criticism or an unfair criticism, my reactions tends to be the same and the immediate of like <laughs> just that i have been criticized yeah I, Ouch. My, my blood pressure and like defensiveness and all you know um and so you have to then sort of pause and space out your options and say like okay i acknowledge that i am uh op- i operate from a place that tends to be <laughs> of like there is no health in us right and so you kind of have to have that check because my initial impulse is always like this is unfounded criticism Mm. (laughs) Um, but maybe it's not i am a flawed person it is possible i can make mistakes so um is this one of those situations where i truly have made a mistake and need to reflect on and that might take two to three days or two to three weeks to reflect on that criticism and and then respond and it will probably take discussing with other people too and saying like i have had this thing called out in me is it real um like, is what they say true? Um, or am I being, you know, accused unjustly and now I need to go through that process? But I think it, it does requ- recall or require my own pausing, my own sort of theological uh, 
foundation that I reflect on. And then again, the, the community engagement, whether that's a dear friend or a spiritual guide, uh, a spouse or something, and reaching out to them and, being, and trying to go through, why am I mad? Mm. And for me, that never happens under 24 hours, no. so. Well, and she, in the antidotes to anger section, she first sort of practical suggestion is this thing about like journaling. Journaling mm-hmm. your like experiences of anger, your frustration, you know, those reactionary, those moments. Um, and then like do that for a week and then put it away for a week mm-hmm. and then come back to it and see if you think that you had the proportion or that you were seeing things relatively clearly. I imagine we would all be a little embarrassed as to maybe how we registered it in the moment versus how it appears when we come back. But as a practice, right, having some space, she gave an example in this chapter that was devastating to me and it was probably almost a throwaway example I think toward the beginning for her when she was talking about a mom and I was just thinking of a dad but she was talking about a mom calling kids in for dinner I think it was or for a mm-hmm. meal right you've been working on and the kids are like you know having fun so they're like just not thinking about it or whatever and in her case the mom but I was thinking of me um, being like angry like personally upset that they are they are it's like they sat down and they said we're gonna ignore father you know (laughs) like that's how i'm like feeling it like hey i guys i called you in you know like they're deliberately trying to ignore me because they don't care what i'm saying and they've decided and and the way i think she phrased (laughs) the way she phrased it was like they're like distractedly carelessly having a good time they're playing you know and i'm thinking of those moments in which i've got frustrated with my kids and like I said this three times like what are you, you have to brush your teeth and it's because they're like playing and they're having fun they're not like it is time to show father he has no power you yeah, know like they're not, <laughs> yeah. they're not having a meeting they're kids and I'm thinking what is wrong why are they so disobedient or why aren't they listening mm. you know and just uh, that was really uh, I don't know if embarrassing but it was it was I feel that regularly and oh, yet yeah. it is yeah. like the, one of the most obvious situations of me seeing a situation inaccurately to how they're feeling, thinking, or meaning any of it. They're mm-hmm. genuinely distracted by this fun game they're playing. And I'm like, they are personally, you know, rebuffing me and attacking this whatever. It Like she mentioned it and moved on. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that to me is like the perfect example yeah. of how my regular frustrations with life, the world, and things that, that are what I don't want, right? Things that are get in the way of what I want things to be, um, is so out of proportion, is so self-centered, is so like everything revolves around me, and so you must be like attacking me if you're ignoring me, right? Like if you're if you're not listening to what I said, this is a very personal, like, it, and it's so embarrassing because it's like, it's children. Like it, it, it's such a perfect example because it's like so disarming, it's like, they're genuinely like Lisa and I've talked about this so many times, but like they're four, like they're you know <laughs> like you know how yeah. they're you know what they're like. They're not a human forty-year-old in a four-year-old body. They're a four-year-old, and they have a four-year-old's experience of the world. They're not a grown-up in a small body that's yeah. like thinking like you about anything practically, right? Like it doesn't work that way. And yet, in those moments when you feel hurt, grieved, tired, frustrated. It is just wild how how willingly I will misread and misrespond to those kinds of little petty frustrations um, and feel like this is wrong. What, this is this is disobedience. This is right. 
I mean, it, so like that example to me leans me like in that Cassian direction of like, man, I am always putting myself at the center of reality. Mm-hmm. My reactions are probably extremely unlikely to be like proportionate or even clear minded. <laughs> Like, I might have a better reaction to, like, someone hurting one of you. Yep. You know, because... Yeah. Like, so when you said, like, the community thing, like, can you talk to people? You got to make sure you talk to the right people. Yeah. Right? You can always find a girlfriend or a brother who's like, dude, (laughs) they don't deserve you. Like, everything is against you, and we need to go out and party and get rid of this. Like, yeah, you can find the right, the wrong counselor really easily from a good friend meaning well. But if if you have if you have the other kind of people you can go to and trust and it's not personal and they have no agenda and they're just going to be able to be there and be able to say, well, yeah, you know, this, Mm -hmm. that, and the other thing like that, just a little distance of like talking to another parent talking to, right. Like give Mm -hmm. myself a little space from being like, okay, this is dumb, right? Like this, (laughs) this is insane. Um, that community moment of having other people to say, all right, I got really upset today. Let me just walk it out a little bit. And let's hear if if there's something there, mm-hmm. or I was mistreated this way. And like, is that am I even reading that right? Did that did they mean it that way? Like, what do you think? So th- that that community part seems to me right. pretty vital, and maybe something that becomes more difficult. Uh, from what it seems to me that as you get older, we people have less friends. Yeah, they have less close friendships, and unless they go to churches that are relatively small or they invest long enough to be known. It's hard as you get older to have people who are not your vent person or your, you know, or just, you know, your spouse, which can be that person for sure most of the time. But um, to have a genuine, like, community of people you could even talk about those things with seems like something that is hard to hold on to or to continue to cultivate. So it seems really valuable to me, but maybe not everyone's experience. Hmm. Do do you think you guys, I mean, Laura, you've always been really good at articulating how your church community is able to help you sort of see and hear and process things in certain ways. Um, Do you think you've been able to see over the years the kinds of people who you would be able to say, hey, can you give me an honest take on this? Yeah, I think so. I think um, I've accumulated a a number of people in my life who I know I can do that with. And and I think one of my... uh, best friends from high school actually is really good at this because she's a very sort of objective logical person and and so I can call her in those moments you know I know she falls in and out of favor but in uh, Brene Brown's book on shame she Mm -hmm. talks about having a like a friend you can call when you feel ashamed so you can just be like it's happening (laughs) and and creating that as a normal practice in your life and so uh, a friend of mine and I both read that book years and years ago and we have put in that habit of like, I'm just going to call you and tell you that I'm, like, furious or I'm hurt or I'm... Because sometimes I think um, we think we're angry, but then actually we're just embarrassed or ashamed or something. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I have some friends at church who I know I could trust with that. I have some friends, yeah, a friend from high school who's known me a long time who will tell me like it is. Um and who will be that person to take the call when I can just say like, I just had something awful happen. Can I call you? You're like, yeah. Um, so I think you have to have those conversations though a little bit to set it up. Maybe not always, but um, I think you have to have some friends who you can set up the boundaries of like, 
hey, when this thing happens to me, I would love if I could call you and talk it through. Um, of course, that comes with you having seen them and admiring how they react in those situations. Um, but I know, yeah, the people in my life who would definitely give the situation a fair look while also still being on my team, right. you know? Um, I feel like both of you have done this for me when I'm upset about things or disappointed at things or angry about things. Um, and I can just be like, <laughs> I've plenty of times come to both of you and just been like, I'm bothered by this. Why am I bothered? And, and you guys have helped me like, peace out. Like, I think you're probably irritated at this. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, but you kind of have to have that because your, uh, your brain just gets in this fog mm. of whether it's shame or anger or rage or whatever. Um, all the all the pieces stop clicking and so you have to let time and let other people help uh sort of blow away the smoke of it all mm-hmm. that's a good word hayden antidotes to anger yeah i think i think or to wrath i guess yeah to right. wrath yeah um specificity mm. is one that i've always i've always i recommend and that i found helpful in my own life and i think this is the, the principle behind the journaling thing in the book um, is when you write something down, it has to at least take the shape of the words you wrote on the page, mm-hmm. which is different than that phantasmic thought that gets to haunt you in your as big or as little as it wants to be. You know, for the explosive anger person, it looms large and becomes this you know this ghost that that, that assists you in your vengeance. And when you're passively angry, like I tend to be, uh, it, it it like gets to hide in the cracks of everything else. You know, mm-hmm. it's this little phantom vice that comes along and whispers into the ear of any other thing you want to say and do. Um, and so to forcing it to take a form in a place at a particular time, even if you go on to revise that and write and scratch the page and rewrite it again, you know, another day, each of those things is extremely helpful because specificity is really what, what brings it back from wrath to anger to the ouch again um, of saying, this is the thing that I wish was different, better or more about this. Not like I wish injustice was gone in the world. I, of course we do. But in this, on this day at this time, when I felt the ouch, it was, gosh, I just wish that, like, like I, like I wish that some, like, people didn't just, they didn't accidentally trip over my shame impulse, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Or I wish, gosh, I wish people were a little more careful with the lives of others in this particular way. Mm-hmm. And so specificity is really good, and I think ultimately that's the thing that brings it back to whatever useful thing that anger can give us, which is very limited, very tentative, it is that, is to deliver the message of what we wish was different, better, or more. And then we have to forgive. And I, and I say, and as immediately as I say the word forgive, I have to immediately feel like I have to nuance it because it gets, it gets trotted out in so many unhelpful ways. Um, but what I mean by that, to define it is, is I mean, we have to, like the psalmist in the, in the scriptures does continually, is to come back and say, my soul is disquiet within me for these things. I, have, I was disturbed at the injustice that I beheld. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, and I have to, I have to open my hand around it, the specific thing I want to be different, better, or more. And I have to say, I cannot do anything about this. And the only thing I can do is to, is to make an offering of it, to receive it back in some way. But I have to let go of it immediately. And and I may receive it back with something to do, but I may most likely will not. To forgive really just means to to say goodbye to our to our need for something to be different, better, or more, to do it continually. Um, and over and with things that really hurt, 
we have to do that continually. But I think the antidote ultimately to, to wrath is to is forgiveness, which doesn't mean saying that wasn't unjust, that wasn't wrong. And I, and it doesn't mean suppressing the, the desire for it to be different, better, or more. It's to say, yeah, that thing ought not have happened. And all I can do is to commend it in the same way that I hope my own sins against others are commended. Hmm. Um, that on the day of judgment, this, these things are not held against any of us. And forgiveness is ultimately, I think, in prayer form, like I counsel and that I try to practice, is is to say to you know to say in prayer, Lord, on the day of judgment, please do not hold this against them for my sake. Hmm. That's a great line. Could you say that again? Yeah, I, I think the prayer is, Lord, on the day of judgment, please don't hold this thing against them for my sake. It's specific. It's the thing, and I have to let go. You know, uh, and it's not, it's not a, it's not the sort of, you know, like detachment, you know, suppressing it's, it's to say, no, there's that real thing and it has to go somewhere. This is the only place I can think to place that thing where it will not destroy me or someone else by my hand. Hmm. I think that, that, that's what helps me at least. Yeah. I think bringing it to the place where it can be prayed. Yeah. Is, is probably if it stops anywhere else along the line. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even in the great counsel of a good friend, right. it, it, the good friend should be able to clarify, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, not fix, but clarify. Because they can't. Um, yeah. yeah, maybe give proportion. Right. Um, but that should also just clarify then what we need to bring to the Lord. Yeah. Um, and as you say, he may give you, as he does, you know, as he did for Maurice, like he may turn this into a, a, right. a lifelong calling to serve people in this particular way. Um, but it must be brought to him. Because at the end of the day, I think Aquinas and Cassie and everybody else would agree it can't be left with us. Um, we can't be trusted with that. No that uh response or what to do with that um i'm sure there's much more to be said i'm sure this has stirred even uh things that people will will need to process but i found it very helpful what you guys have said um whether it was staying local and thinking about embodiment in terms of anger (laughs) um and then and then for all of us making sure that at the end of the day it has to it has to end up in prayer or it had stopped too early on the line. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I think that's some anybody can whatever grievance, whatever hurt, <laughs> whatever thing we may be feeling, even listening to this right now, um, we can all pray. Um, and so I think that that is something that that would would definitely counsel. It would definitely be in in tune with what we see, as you say, of the psalmist and of anyone in Scripture who is trying to walk with the Lord, while being very much in this world, feeling it's brokenness within and without. Um, Laura Hayden, once again, thank you for for helping us with this subject, opening this conversation up, and uh, I look forward to talking to you uh, soon. Thanks, David. Thanks, David.